0: Switch to T Mobile and get four lines for just 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us. So you can take a portrait photo of the whole family with the ultra wide camera. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, cute. Hurry into T Mobile and get four lines for 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us with qualifying trade ins.
1: Via 24 credits for well qualified buyers with AutoPen plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of $699.99. Contact us, finance agreements required. Welcome to a brand new episode of Product and Growth Stories Podcast. This is your host, Varun Mittal. As any startup evolves, it goes through different stages, such as validating an idea or establishing product market fit or scaling up. Whether you are a founder or a product manager, you need to understand the dynamics of product management as your startup goes through different stages. Today, my guest is serial entrepreneur Subinder Khurana. Subinder has a track record of establishing startups and successfully exiting them through multiple times. He has been on the advisory board of several startups, including Droa Software, AuthBridge, WTI Cables, Denev, and power to sme he was a part of the co-team of MarketRx, which was acquired by Cognizant. In this episode, Subinder unfolds a typical journey in a startup and talks about dynamics of product management for predictable success. Hello, Subinder. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Varun.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Well, pleasure is all mine. Please tell us about your entrepreneurial journey in the startup world.
0: So Varun, I've been uh, a product entrepreneur since the early nineties, uh, I built my first product startup in 1992. This was a venture called easy power systems, uh, which I started in the, in the U S on the East coast. Uh, this was during the client server era. So I actually seen the evolution across multiple generations of technology. And later I built my first web product in the late nineties, uh, and then cloud and later mobile products. I've since worked with multiple product and platform companies, later as a mentor and advisor. Furthermore, I believe that product-centric thinking has to be at the heart of every venture to create a scalable and valuable venture.
1: As you have experience of working with numerous startups and you yourself started different companies, can you tell us about a typical startup evolution?
0: Yeah, so a startup will go through four phases in my view. The first phase, what I call idea validation. This is a a stage where the entrepreneur or the team has an idea, but it has to be validated. And that validation can come from their own experience, typically, or what is highly recommended is that they should be validating it with some potential customers. And this is a stage where you're validating that you are onto a, a valuable problem to solve. Next, once you have validated that, then you start to test solutions. Or potential solutions to that problem so this is the product validation or solution validation stage where you propose a solution and check it or test it validate it with the market once you've validated that which means you have customers who are willing to adopt your solution and pay for it then you get on to the product management fit stage, and this is where you test the overall product configuration to the channel to the business model you test the overall value chain. And once this is established, that's when you get onto the scale-up stage. And this is where startups will rapidly start to stage up.
1: So these are the four stages
0: of evolution of a product startup.
1: It's quite holistic when you define the four phases of startup evolution. So let's talk about the first phase, which is idea validation. What defines success in validating the problem rightly? and what PMs can do better in correctly validating that identified problem.
0: So the first stage uh, is really talking to a lot of customers and ensuring that you are onto a valuable problem to solve and a valuable problem that customers are, or whoever you expect to pay for, are willing to pay for, and customers are willing to adopt immediately. I think that is uh, the way that The industry describes it is you're on to a painkiller versus a vitamin. A painkiller is something that a customer needs right now. Hmm. A vitamin is something that is nice to have. They want it, but the urgency is missing and companies go broke selling vitamins. A painkiller is something that a customer will chase you down and take out from your hand, a vitamin, they can easily defer a day, a week, a month and not feel any difference. Whole idea of this phase is to ensure that you are onto a painkiller, which mm-hmm. will then ensure that your venture is successful.
1: Well, great analogy there, you know, painkiller versus vitamin. My question is: what would be the key objectives PMs or entrepreneurs will try to achieve during this phase? at this
0: phase you know the entrepreneur has to be a product manager they have to think like a product manager which means they have to bring together all of the constituents all of the stakeholders which is your customers your messaging your product your delivery product configuration and the execution of delivery the main thing that the the product manager has to do or the entrepreneur has to do is Make sure that you're understanding the customer, understanding the customer's need, the customer's pain, because that's what you want to address, and to understand how typically they will consume the solution that you you intend to build, and how that is going to be delivered to them. You know where will they procure it? You know how will it sit inside their environment? So if you're talking to an enterprise environment, where all will it sit? Who all will be the decision makers? Will it need to integrate? Will it need to work within their firewall? Are there security issues? Are there issues with the hosting or integration into an existing system? Are there training issues? So you have to really understand the holistic picture of how your product will work, will be consumed, and satisfy the customer's need. If you're talking to individual consumers, you still have to worry about where they will buy it, what training or learning they will need. Will they need something else along with your product to make it work? You know, will they need a device? Will they need some data or information, something else? So you have to understand the complete picture. And then you have to understand the experience that they will have at the end of it. Because customers are buying not products, but experiences from you.
1: Right. Do you suggest the depth of idea validation with the customer or the scale of idea validation with number of customers here. For example, if I talk about some enterprise problem you're trying to solve. So in that case, you know, you have to really dig deep. However, I believe in case of a consumer product, uh, you would want to go through all your segment or at least sample that.
0: Yeah. So in, in both cases, you definitely want to talk to multiple customers for a bunch of reasons A, you will get different perspectives. You cannot be building anything on the opinion of a single person you talk to, uh, even if that person is yourselves or your co-founder, your partner. You have to talk to multiple people. It's also that this is an iterative exercise, so you have to have depth as well. I, I say this, and a lot of other people say this as well. You should talk to as many people as you can, and and go into a probing question. So it's not enough to ask, "Hey, I'm building this product. Would you buy it?" You have to really understand pain that the customer experiences and how do you get solved with your proposed solution? And you should come out of that discussion, knowing a little bit more about the problem rather than just getting a yes or a no. Very uh, common mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is, you know, since they're looking for just a yes or a no, and they're hoping to get a yes, you know, they invariably come back hearing that, oh, my, you know, I talked to 20 people and they all love my idea. and You know, people you talk to are often polite, right? They don't want to tell you, Hey, your idea sucks. That is not validation. So just because somebody says, Hey, I like your idea, especially when you are in a mode of wanting to hear that, that doesn't do anything for you. A, that just because somebody says, I like your idea, doesn't mean that you have a potential paying customer. B, more importantly, you've missed out on the opportunity of learning something from that discussion. So ask for an honest answer. And go probing. So like you said, you have to go into depth and, and not just for enterprises, but even for individual customers, you have to go into a little bit of depth of why they would pick up your product, why, how they would deploy it, what would make them not use it, what could go wrong. I think it's very important for you to learn from that discussion.
1: Mm-hmm. In this uh, stage, what objectives should a PM Focus at broadly?
0: So, the objective should be to have identified a very clear problem and a hypothesis solution. So, what I mean by that is that uh, you are validating that there is a real customer problem that needs a solution, right? Um, That it is something that the customer needs solving. It does not validate that whatever solution you've proposed will actually solve the problem, that will come later but there is a real problem that the customer has that is not being served today. And that is something that the customer is willing to pay for now. So the objective is to have identified such a problem, put some detail to it. At the end of it, you come out with, hey, whatever I was thinking of is actually not a valuable enough problem to build a product, either because it is not something which is compelling for the customer, they can live without it. Or if it is something where they have a solution today, which may not be as good, but it's doing the job and changing from what I was working today to what I'm proposing, there is always inertia. There's always resistance to change. Even if you get a no at the end of it, that's a very valuable exercise because it has saved you a lot of trouble, a lot of investment and time of building and taking the product to market.
1: Sure. I believe you have focused upon one of the greatest pitfalls, which is, you know, I like my own idea and then I observe the feedback in my own biased way. So I think that's right. a great insight. And on approach side as well, I believe it makes sense even for founders without having a product management background. So it will surely be applicable. Now let's move to the second stage you mentioned as validating the proposed product as a solution. This would mean approaching the customers and validating the usefulness of the product in solving that identified problem. Tell me typical pitfalls during product validation. Okay,
0: this is a stage where you've built uh, what is popularly known as an MVP, minimum viable product. Based on your uh, discovery from the first phase, where uh, not only are you validating the problem, but you're putting some color to it, some detail to it, as well as your own hypothesis of what a solution should be. At this stage, you build an MVP. And uh, you take the MVP, then you try to
1: take it to customers. And ideally, you can get customers
0: to pay for it at this stage.
1: You mentioned product validation comes when Customers show their willingness in principle to pay for the product to Correct. solve the problems they have been facing. I believe however, the observed outcomes can be misleading to PMs, then how to find the perfect product validation and measure its success. Potentially paying for the
0: product is the first step from a customer. They also have to report that they are satisfied. So a repeat purchase is a perfect validation. Referral is a perfect validation. Let's say the first step in the validation where the customer says, at least based on what you're promising me, your promise seems fine, but now you also have to ensure that you're able to deliver on the promise with the product. I have a splitting headache. At this stage, I'm willing to pay for the product. But now, does it actually solve my headache? Does it actually cure my headache? At the end of it, if I'm satisfied, That's when the product has been validated. Not at the time that I purchase the product.
1: Okay, let me talk about a practical scenario where I run a startup and then I have some product and I want to validate the solution. Uh, Now, how so when I pitch this product or ask any customer to use my product, how to get them to use the product in a, continued fashion because they may or may not be in a position to use the product in that fashion, but they can always give a feedback by just touching the product on a shallow level.
0: The first step is if you're doing a pilot, even if you're doing a trial, I always recommend charge something, even if it's a token, charge a hundred rupees. The moment the customer puts some money down, it tells you that they have verified that this is a valuable product that they need. If they take it for free, then you don't know whether there's actually a real need behind it or not. That's the first thing. Uh, Second thing is if the customer is not willing to make the effort to adopt or try out your product, like you said, they may want to sit through a demo. They may say, yeah, give me a pitch or presentation on the product but I'll not use it quite yet. That itself should tell you something. It should either tell you that, again, the problem that you're addressing is not a compelling enough problem. The problem may not be, you know, it's like that vitamin that they can live without it, which is a major red flag. A lot of entrepreneurs end up building products that customers love in a demo, but never get around to buying and paying for and using. Simply because there's inertia. You know, we all have plenty to do. To make time for something new means that something new has to be really compelling. And if the customer is not uh, willing to make time for a trial, how are you going to expect them to make time for uh, actually adopting your product in production? That barrier is actually much higher when you get on to the real production use case. It goes back to that it has to be something so compelling That the customers are not only willing to pay for it, but actually make room for it in their lives. The third thing you're looking for in this stage is, what are the other barriers to adoption? It could very well be that the customer has the intent and the desire to use your product, but maybe they might need permission from their IT. For example, I'm just taking a trivial example to procure some extra database license, or maybe they need uh, some integration with an existing piece of software. Again, that's a barrier to adoption, which will hit you much harder at the later stage when you try to sell and scale up your product to your venture, right? So you better discover what these things are and try to make it easy for your product to be adopted or as easy as possible. Because if you don't, you will end up having a barriers to scaling up or even barriers to adoption, which are going to be much worse later on you know the summary is that this is a stage where you're not only getting a sense for whether the customer is willing to pay for your product but you want to ensure that they are willing to make time for it right now that the the pain is big enough that they will make adjustments elsewhere and for you to understand that you've at least documented or understood all the barriers to adoption and try to make your product as simple as possible to adopt and try Otherwise, you will never be able to penetrate the market.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Any product trial takes off. I believe customers will have certain expectations and that's where customer experience kicks in. What to actually commit to customers uh, and how to set the expectations right?
0: No, that's a very good question. And this is a very delicate exercise. Because if you are not setting the expectation high enough, then the customer might say, well, this is not a product which is good enough for me to try or commit to right now. A typical response might be, yeah, I love the idea, but come back to me when you're ready or when you build these features. On the other hand, if you overcommit right now, you are essentially setting a very high bar that then you have to meet when you deliver on your product, when you deliver on the promise. It's a delicate balancing exercise. You do have to show the customer the vision. And this is where a lot of the communication and and sales skills come in. You have to build trust with the customers. A very essential product management skill is understanding what is essential for the customer and what is something that they can do without. This is an art. A very essential product management skill is building the trust with the customer and then promising only what you absolutely have to and you know that you can deliver upon. A lot of it could also be that you can show them the promise, show them the roadmap, but not necessarily deliver on it right now, and being upfront with the customer. This is something that we're building. That happens all the time. And if it's a compelling enough problem for the customer, they will bend backwards to adopt your solution. If after that, the customer says, yeah, I love your solution, but I'll wait. That tells you that the problem may not be compelling enough. And that's where the validation part also comes in.
1: As we're talking about MVP here, minimum viable product, from this perspective, any customer to whom you're proposing your solution for validation, I believe the comparison will come up. Then as, as a product manager, how to focus or how to solve the trade-off between your product and the competition products? Correct. Well
0: that's another very good question. And a very common mistake I see is entrepreneurs start to build full-featured product, often mistaken belief that customers want all those features to adopt your product. Actually, the problem is or uh, the mistake is elsewhere. The mistake is in, in target customer selection and the problem definition. If you Like I said, you, when you have an MVP, it's necessarily not a complete product. It's necessarily not a full featured and a very robust product, which means you cannot sell it to everybody. Your eventual customer base will be much larger, but initially you're selling to the pioneers among the customer base. You have to be very selective about who you sell your MVP to. And those are the customers who are a early adopters and B who have a very compelling problem much bigger than the rest of the market. They will be the early adopters of your product. And they will very often live with an incomplete, imperfect product. That is a very important part of identifying or go to market where a product manager has to identify who are going to be the early adopters for the product, who have the real outsized need, who have an open mindset, right? Especially when you get into enterprise sales, this is also where navigating the organization becomes important. If you go to the normal channels of procurement or the gatekeepers, they're used to doing feature comparisons. And the moment you get into a feature comparison, you know that you've already lost the, the battle. And because necessarily you, you don't have a full featured product and don't get drawn into it. The art is not to say, okay, let me uh, address the feature comparison. The art is in ensuring that you don't get to that feature comparison, which means you're selling to the real decision maker, whether it's the CEO, the CX, or the head of department, whoever, who can take that call and who has the real pain that needs to be addressed. And they also have to be a little open and risk taking because what you're offering them is not, you know, hey, I have a slightly better product, what you're offering them is a strategic advantage. You're saying, hey, my product will enable you to do things that you cannot do today. It's not that I'll give you slightly better than what you're doing today, because the moment you say I'm slightly better, you're inviting a comparison. I hope that point is clear. So here, what you want to ensure is that, you when you've identified the problem, you're identifying a white space problem. You're identifying your problem where... There is a huge solution gap today. And then you're selling to that gap. You're not selling to the comparison with existing products.
1: I believe that's a deep thought and quite an area for startup guys to look at because I see a value in there. So in the first
0: two phases, both the idea validation and the product validation stage, you should largely be ignoring competition. And I know it sounds very counterintuitive. What you want to do is just look at where competition has staked a claim. So which is where they say, this is the problem I'm solving or, or I'm addressing this particular segment. Let's say you have a competitor who's focused on a particular vertical segment, a supply chain. Then you, you're quite okay going into a different segment and just ignoring your competition. And I say ignoring your competition, because if you're obsessing about the customer, you have enough information already to do everything that you would learn from your competitors. Whether it is what features to build, whether it is how to price your product, whether it is the channel to use, how you deliver your product, everything you should learn from your customer. Your competitors should only be, you should look at as areas where somebody's already staked a claim and you should not get drawn into feature comparison with competitors. You should stay true to your customers, stay true to the problem that you're solving. Build features only as and when the customers need them, whether or not your competitors are offering similar features. One very big mistake that I see a lot of entrepreneurs make is they are obsessively tracking competition when actually that draws them in the wrong direction. They should really be obsessively following customers, and even largely ignoring competition. The other mistake that I see is that they're sometimes very obsessively focused on the product. The two things which they should not be obsessing about is the competition and the product itself. I know it sounds really strange to say, well, we're talking product management, we're saying don't obsess about the product. What I mean by that is that Don't worry about too much about what all your product contains. Worry about the customer and just build enough and as and when required to satisfy your customer. And the part which gets ignored very often, which is a real key to success here, is customer experience. And especially when you start tracking competition and start building features, the first thing that takes a hit is customer experience. You end up making the product too complex, too heavy, which means difficult to use, difficult to learn, difficult to adopt, when you should be focusing on making it easier to use, easier to learn, easier to adopt. And the only way to do that is to obsess about the customer, obsess about what they need, what their problem is, how they're going to use the product, and build only what's required by the customer you know, the reason a slightly controversial startup, but you know the reason Uber was so successful was that they said, I'll build only one. So I'll serve the customer only now. You can't book a taxi in the future. And it takes only one button for them to book a cab. The cab just shows up where they are. And they don't even need to pay for it. It's paid for automatically. It made life so simple for customers and since they've been complicating it for other reasons. But the beauty here was this, they didn't get into a feature comparison. They didn't say, well, you should be able to book a cab now, book a cabin one hour later, book these kinds of options. When I sit in there, I need a newspaper or I need a bottle of water. No, no options, but taking those options away, they made life very, very simple. That's customer centric thinking. Whereas if you start looking at whether it is your product or you start looking at your competition that gets into feature-centric thinking, which leads you down the wrong path.
1: Well, uh, this absolutely makes sense. And it's a leaner approach you know, to start with, I would say, in the first two phases. Uh, and then it will also uh, help you in not ending up investing a lot of money in something which has not been validated. And I believe that is the goal you are trying to achieve. Absolutely. All right. We have come to the end of this episode. Don't forget to listen to the next part of this in which Subinder covers product market fit and scaling up stages and much more. Thanks to all of you who are listening to this podcast for all your love and support. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. We would look for your encouraging comments so that we could bring much more exciting topics on product management and marketing. Till then, I wish you an exciting startup journey.
0: Switch to T-Mobile and get four lines for just 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us. So you can take a portrait photo of the whole family with the ultra-wide camera. Oh, that's a good
1: one. Oh, cute.
0: Hurry into T-Mobile and get four lines for 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11
1: on us with qualifying trade-ins. Via 24 credits for well-qualified buyers with auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of
0: $699.99. Contact us. Finance agreements required.